the first period, I thought Orlando took control of, of some some decent portions of the game. There were one or two things that we didn't quite get to grips with early on in the game. Having said that, I thought the very best chance in that first period was Sam's opportunity to, to put into the lead, probably against the run of play. But the second period looked much more like a Nashville group. There was a more positive and competitive approach to the game um, and, and a couple of opportunities that we really should have got ourselves back in the game. Well, perhaps uh, the darkest timeline occurred to Nashville SC in playoff match number one. They go down 1-0 thanks to a banger from Orlando. They're unable to equalize. And now Nashville will face an elimination game at home next Tuesday night at Geodis Park. That game-winning banger from Orlando City, courtesy of Apple TV. Thanks for joining Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. From the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, Nashville played perhaps a little bit better than some are thinking, and we can get into that today, but it wasn't enough against an Orlando Mm -hmm. team that had the edge not only with uh, one banger going in and Nashville missing its own uh, improbable long shot just a few minutes later, but also it seemed just in the vibes, in the tone of the match, Orlando topped Nashville when it mattered most, and now the boys in gold are up against it. Yeah, it felt pretty similar to me to the game in Geodis Park that Nashville SC lost. Nashville was maybe not stronger, but certainly on equal footing with Orlando. But as soon as Orlando got that uh, somewhat improbable goal, uh, as uh, it's the Geodis Park game, it's improbable that a goal that's offside is typically counted. But um, it was just a beautiful strike uh, on uh, Monday night. Had to check what day it was last night, (laughs) as it's also (laughs) called. But um, they got they got a beautiful, uh, improbable strike and and Nashville couldn't respond once Orlando started saying, OK, you know what, we're just we're just going to pack it in a little bit and you are not going to be able to break us down. There were still a few chances. You mentioned the the one long strike, but in the end, it was just a situation where Nashville is not a team that is well equipped to handle a team that is packing it in and, and not breaking them and not allowing them uh, to break them down. Orlando unbeaten this year when they score first, and we saw why. And Tim, again, Orlando was Orlando in the waning moments, as we knew, you know, would would happen if they scored the first goal. They packed it in. They kicked the ball away before restarts. They wasted time. They did what a lot of MLS clubs will do. Any Nashville would have done the same to an extent Mm -hmm. if they'd been ahead. But they are some of the best in the league at wasting time and playing as little soccer as possible once they're ahead. It's something that Evan Weston previewed on a great interview we had before the match. And Nashville, as you mentioned, just didn't seem to have the composure or really the ideas, I think, to beat that once once the minutes were counting down. Yeah, and it was something that I thought was interesting. Um, Tony Husband and Ross Smith called the game. And Ross mentioned, hey, Nashville is asking Hani Mukhtar to stop dropping deep to get onto the ball. He's playing a little bit higher. Um, that was particularly true once Teal Bunbury came on. Nashville was playing with a bunch of forwards on the field to try and uh, really search for a goal. But that kind of feels a little bit counterintuitive to what Nashville wants to do if they're going to score. You, I think you want to get Hani on the ball deeper yeah. in the field. And um, if he's driving at a you know two banks of four, so be it. But at least your best player is on the ball. And we saw um, kind of later in the match when Nashville found him through combination play in zone 14. His his shot was was well high, but um, it was a situation where is that any better than 
letting him drive it, guys, and hope and hope that you can break down enough players of those two banks of four. I don't know the answer, but it certainly didn't feel that way. And and I'm certainly a Tuesday morning quarterbacking it, but it, it felt like uh, the other way might have made more sense. Yeah, today we'll talk about three primary questions that we want to throw out, and then we'll go to the questions that you threw at us in the mailbag. The first question is, Tim, what went wrong? Second, in what ways do we think people maybe were overreacting last night and overreacting this morning? And in what areas do people have legit concerns? Because uh, I think mm-hmm. there are plenty of those as well. Before all that, we'll talk about ML Rose. Yes, we are sullying the good name of ML Rose by associating it with a conversation about a rough night in Nashville SC postseason history. But Tim, if, if people are looking for something that will cure what ails them, not only is it a great uh, hangover cure, especially during brunch time on weekends, but a great loss hangover cure uh, to go increase your mental health with a good burger, with good beers, and with a great diverse menu. Yeah, and it's also one where if you want to have a rough morning, uh, they will certainly accommodate that as well as I have experienced uh <laughs> You can you can uh, have the night before, and I think a lot of Nashville SC fans probably woke up a little bit angry, not feeling so hot about about how how they uh, the they enjoyed the experience, but did not enjoy the outcome of the game, and that might have altered their experience and how they uh, consumed uh, both the game and the the uh, the party favors for the game as they were watching it uh, on television from Orlando. But that's also uh, the case where you can uh, pregame for the game the home match at Geodis Park. Uh, coming up, like you mentioned on on Tuesday, it's something that uh, they are not just a place that you can watch the away matches, but you can watch, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, whatever whatever is on television on Tuesday. Night. You can watch the first half of a MAC football game probably before before yes, the home can. match in Geodes Park. You absolutely can because college football gets played pretty much every day, uh, except for NFL days between now and Thanksgiving. And as a college football podcast, it's important that we note that. Uh, one one note and one preview for what's to come on this episode regarding ML Rose. The note is that if you do go to ML Rose tonight, if you're listening on Halloween on Tuesday uh, for this instant reaction pod, wear your costume to ML Rose tonight. Uh, dine with the spirits this Halloween at ML Rose, says their Instagram account at underscore ML Rose. Uh, any of the four locations, they encourage you to wear your costume. So if you're looking for something to do, uh, you know, if you're like us, like we're, we're taking our little guy out pretty early uh, tonight. Before the sun goes down, he's three. He gets scared of his shadow once uh, the street lights. So Halloween's probably great for him then if he's it's, scared it's of awesome. his own yeah, shadow. <laughs> really exciting. He's talking himself into ghosts and witches. But what we're likely going to do, so we'll do the early night and then we're going to be looking for some food. Uh, so we'll do a pre-dinner, like happy hour Halloween, take his candy bucket, take his costume to ML Rose, and then we can enjoy a good dinner and close our night uh, in, in costume at a burger place. I mean, seems like the way to go, right? What, what's uh, what's Lily going to be for Halloween, by the way? Uh, she's going to be a narwhal, and Quinn oh. is going to be a jellyfish. So if people are familiar with the Ben Clanton books, uh, I know this is not the recommend <laughs> recommendations at the end of the episode. Uh, narwhal and Jelly, uh, they, they have a theme costume oh, together. I love the two it. characters from that. That's great. Are you complimenting it with a costume of your own? Are you going to be a whale or something? No, I'm just going to walk around in a winter jacket. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that is it is a winter jacket night for sure. Uh Cameron is Marshall from Paw Patrol. Uh, okay. I am Chase. We've been uh, we've been Sky in the past. Well, I have not, but <laughs> my wife is <laughs> it Sky. has been a costume for us. My wife is Sky when when she asked our son what she should be to compliment his Marshall costume, he said, The sky is indeed the limit. He didn't. Hey, now I'm go. putting puns in my kid's mouth. Uh anyway. 
As Paw Patrol does not come up with enough puns of its own, you have to add to that. (laughs) I'm fired up. I'm fired up, says Marshall. And my paws will uphold the law as Chase. And then my paws are going to get my hands on maybe a carnitas quesadilla tonight at ML Rose to go with a beer, a post-Halloween beer in my very simple Chase t-shirt. So Halloween night tonight at ML Rose, but also later in the show tonight, big news about a new ML Rose location that we have not previously announced on this show it was announced yesterday monday and we're going to tell you where it is so stay tuned and you're going to know where a new ml rose is coming but tim from that exciting news uh to less exciting things nashville orlando one nil loss again courtesy of a first half goal from 30 yards out i'd say (laughs) what went wrong what went wrong for nashville on monday what were the biggest factors that led to that loss yeah, the the biggest one is is one that unfortunately has has been the case for for quite some time now, and that's Nashville not finding either that final piece in the in the final third, that final connection, or when they do get a really good look, they are not converting. And um, as a, an XG zealot, I'll tell you that it's it's kind of just bad luck more than it is bad finishing. But you look at the the pseudo scorpion kick uh, from Sam Surridge in the first half. You look at the header uh, from Teal Bun- Bunbury in the second half. Nashville had a couple good chances, and I know the the overall XG numbers are not going to necessarily smile on what Nashville SC uh, did in comparison to Orlando City, but the reality is you need to take advantage of the opportunities you do get, and that's particularly true in knockout play, and that's uh, what happened in Nashville. Fortunately, it's not strict knockout play. It is a best-of-three series, so they have a chance to go out and and get a little bit of retribution, get a little, get a little bit of, of home cooking, hopefully, to to overcome that so we'll see if they can do that but i think the biggest thing is having the opportunities and not seizing them or not quite being able to put that you know you're getting 99 100s out of the way there to make a chance and not getting that last piece it was not as bad of a night as fans felt afterward because of course they felt bad it's a one no loss in the playoffs you're gonna that's gonna suck no matter what but i think the the product on the field was not for much of that match and statistically as bad as I think a lot of people are claiming. I'll get to that in just a second when we talk about areas where people might be overreacting a little bit. But let me be very clear. The frustration that you're feeling today is completely legitimate as supporters, of course. And what we want to parse today is where that frustration is rooted in fact and reason and logic and where maybe it's a little excessive and maybe you're taking it to some conclusions that that we are not. And we might even disagree with each other, some some on that as well. But when I look at what went wrong, I think you mentioned it, fail, failure to capitalize. But also in midfield, I think Nashville really missed Dax McCarty. And again, if you mm-hmm. happen to be uh, you know, unaware, Dax, a late injury concern, was still on the bench, but just Gary Smith didn't feel like he could go safely without jeopardizing him for Tuesday. And I think you look, Tim, at Nashville getting beat on the ball. They lost the 50-50 battle last night, which is rare for this team. They didn't progress the ball effectively out of midfield. And when it came down to crunch time, they didn't effectively use midfield to generate chances to break down an Orlando team that was putting a couple banks of four back there and saying, beat us. And, you know, it's so frustrating, I think, for fans, because when Nashville's ahead, they see the other team peppering the net, peppering the net. Nashville ends the night with seven shots and mm-hmm. not a lot of high um, high danger opportunities late when they were trailing. And I think that is where people have, every right to be frustrated is what's the midfield doing right now? You know, I, I, I feel like they just didn't contribute to late activity like you would expect them to, especially in a veteran group. 
Yeah. And I, to a certain extent, agree with that. And we talked about it a little bit on last week's episode, and we will be asked about it uh, in the mailbag of this episode too. But the midfield has been a bit of an issue. The, the The problem for the 2023 edition of Nashville SC is, is how do you improve it? Uh, we've seen this, this club, as we mentioned last week, kind of uh, be forced by the Nick Depew injury into playing maybe a little bit more of a defensive style of midfield than they wanted. They need to protect a back line that doesn't quite have as much uh, uh, firepower, I guess you could say, as they expected. Um, obviously, Walker Zimmerman back fully healthy. And and fortunately, um, Jack Mayer has, has stepped up very admirably and, and both fullbacks are now both, uh, healthy and available. But this is a club that kind of over the course of the season needed to use those midfielders to be a little bit more protective. When you play Brian Nunga, um, less so Anibal Godoy, but he he kind of factors into that as well. Sean Davis, you don't have the Dax McCarty connector in midfield. The problem is Nashville only has one Dax McCarty connector in midfield, and it's Dax McCarty. <laughs> they yeah. they had young Greg Goosh at, at times earlier this year and, and decided that he was surplus to requirements and, and traded him back to Minnesota United. I think um, that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to talk about in the mailbag as well. But he's the other guy that has a little bit more of that connective and attacking sort of mindset that Nashville needs. If if Hani Mukhtar is not going to go out and be a virtuoso like he was during his MVP season, and he has been at times this year, but it has you're lying to yourself if you say he's been he's been sharp over the second half of the year, particularly in MLS play. I, I think League's Cup, you can give him a little bit of a. Uh, passing grade for, but it is a situation where Nashville needs a little bit more from Hani Mukhtar, or they do need that midfield to complement him a little bit better. And um, unfortunately, they haven't been able to to find quite the right recipe. As as Gary Smith would say, he hasn't quite found the right balance uh, in in terms of how he's trying to uh, approach the attack versus versus defend um, sort of midfield uh, alignment. I guess you could say it's the first time Nashville's ever visited Orlando and gone without a goal, and second time in the series they've been shut out because they don't have Jander Cadiz. And uh, that's it. That's absolutely it. Yonder Cuddy's was that on on Halloween or close to Halloween decision day 2020? Yeah, I think it was win. the day before, maybe. Yeah, it was it was I don't yeah. know. It was that right around matter. that. Era. But yeah, it was right. It was right around that. So we'll get to some of those other legitimate concerns and, and deficiencies in a minute. First, I think it's fair to uh, address some of the what I'll call overreaction. And I don't think that a a, a show does a very good job when it, you know, insults or demeans its audience. <laughs> That's not what we're doing here. I think what we want to do is once again, give a, an analytical approach, a never too high, never too low uh, approach to, uh, to, to analyzing this team. And I think we yeah, saw, and, I, and it's fair. It's fair. I want to point out in that note, it's fair that uh, people's emotions feel the way that they do. Yeah. Uh, I think anybody who's pissed about a loss should be pissed about a loss. Yeah, feel, what yeah. we try to do is kind of separate where the emotion and the the on-field reality kind of dovetail and where they separate from each other a little bit because the emotion is is, is always legitimate. We yes. want to bring a little bit more of an analytical take to to where it can kind of maybe be harnessed and what, what seems right and wrong about the analysis of, of how that emotion comes about. That's absolutely the, I think the best way to put it, you know, your feelings are always legit. What conclusions do you draw based on those? And we're going to try to draw some conclusions based on numbers and, and our analysis here. And I think one area where people are overreacting Tim, that I'll start with is actually the quality of Nashville's performance last night. And now let me be clear, finishing chances, a huge issue 
legitimate, <laughs> absolutely legitimate, creating those chances, putting themselves in position. Tim, we're talking about a Nashville team that, according to at least the numbers I'm looking at, had a higher XG last night than Orlando did. And mm-hmm. contextually, it was actually the second highest XG of any road match Nashville's played this year. Now, they haven't been the brightest on the road. So we're not saying that it's an elite road performance league-wide, but in terms of what they've done this season, it's actually one of the best in terms of, of creating those chances. And so, Tim, I think we can split the, the thing a little bit here. Finishing chances, issue, obviously. But Nashville had two of the, the two best scoring chances of the night last night. Sam Surge, of course, with the miss on kind of a tweener of a cross, and he may have been shielded mm-hmm. a bit. But if he goes with his head instead of his foot, he at least puts that on target. Or, or if he like just puts the it. bottom of his foot into it instead of trying to scorpion kick it a little it, bit. Yeah, it would have been a real beautiful goal if that had gone in. Yeah. Uh, would have been sick. I, I, it, it was worth that. it. At that stage of the game, it was worth <laughs> it to try that, honestly. And that's where we disagree. Um, and, but Teal Bunbury as well. The header on the on the corner kick measured, I mean, almost a half XG right there. And it just hit the wrong side of his head. That's one Teal knows he should bury. I think... If we if we if Nashville hits one of those two, then we're talking about hey penalties and wherever that went and in a match that was completely even. If Nashville hits both of them, as odds will tell you they would half the time or better, then we're talking about a smash and grab win that's a Gary Smith masterclass. So for me, the overreaction comes when people take the result, which is the result directly of a couple of sitters missed, and say, look, manager's just not cutting it, Gary out. Look, small sample size is a thing. You're not going to be content with us just saying small sample size all the time. I get that. But when you're missing those obvious chances, Gary Smith can't get in there and convert. He probably wouldn't have, by the way, but he could have. Uh, he, It's just, we, we, we can't fire the manager over two bad misses. And if you're pointing to a larger trend of lack of buildup in the final third, that's where I start to really identify with your concern. But Tim, I don't think last night was the perfect example of an underperformance except for right in front of goal when Nashville created the chances they needed. Yeah. I, I, I said that kind of before we got into this, into this little section here, but I totally agree with you. It is, it is a situation where uh, any goal that you score is going to be uh, outperforming your expected goals. There is no such thing as a 1.00 expected goals shot. The reality is if you get two shots that are, you know, 40% a piece, whatever they are, you know, that's a situation where it's rare that you miss both of them in the same game. And and Nashville also had uh, five other shots too. Those are much lower value shots, but the reason aggregate expected goals is considered something that you look at in terms of how a team played is because statistically you're not going to get a 1.2 expected goals a lot as, as major league soccer, uh, MLSsoccer.com, Major League Soccer, Soccer.com has for, for Nashville's expected goals. You aren't going to get 1.2 expected goals a lot and not have one of those seven shots go in. Um, the issue is, I think you look at a Nashville team that has been a little bit too apt to uh, um, be satisfied with low expected goal counts, hoping that they will overachieve. And so when they underachieve, it's even more painful because the sheer volume of chances just isn't there. Yeah. This is a Nashville team that I think uh, has done a really good job producing golden chances, basically, uh, at times. But I think when you look at how last night's game played out, you want to produce a greater volume of chances uh, because you don't... But when you go down in the... I believe it was the 44th minute. When you go down, you want to be peppering the net. You mentioned it kind of in the intro that Nashville didn't pepper the net. And yes, they created uh, some, some really good chances after that period. 
But the the reality is, yes, I know they don't give up a ton of goals when they let opponents pepper the net when they're already winning. That's part of what makes Nashville what it is. Teams can try and, and it's really unsuccessful, but you'd like to see Nashville at least, I guess, at least look like they're trying. And, and it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that it's more effective in terms of of actually getting that equalizer. But I think it would I think fans would have woken up feeling better this morning yeah. if Nashville had 30 shots and still lost one to zero, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, because then you think you did everything you could. And I don't think either of us is saying Nashville did everything it could have to secure a result. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we're saying they did enough <laughs> to to put themselves at least in that position. Not everything, but but enough. And I think that's the area, other area where I think people are overreacting a bit is taking a frustrating night and a frustrating season and applying it to the overall philosophy of this club from a roster building or a tactical standpoint. Look, I I don't think that Gary Smith or Mike Jacobs would tell you that they've done a perfect job this season or ever. But I do think that based on the constraints with which this club is working, which is being a mid-tier spending team, they are doing what they know how to put this club in the best chance to win. You know, I think there's a lot of frustration with with underinvestment, and I'm quoting a couple of folks here, lack of ambition from this club. If you believe that, that's fine. Point to the money available to spend. Uh, and, and I'm not sitting here criticizing John Ingram either because he's running a business and he's building a stadium at the same time, and he's probably more in a capital investment phase than he is in a, you know, be a top five spending team. And so if that's the case, Tim... I think that this club is doing what it has to do to make games tight, to be organized first, to invest in talent they believe will score the right pivotal goals and to trust that they will do that in key moments. And, you know, we're not going to see an LAFC or Atlanta size investment anytime soon, nor I don't think are we going to see a change in philosophy. And I think fans need to understand and get used to the fact that, that a philosophy that can drive the level of consistency Nashville has achieved is a massive foundation on which to build. And while they were a penalty kick away from winning a trophy, and while fans want to see them progress in the standings, I think there's something to prize about making the playoffs four years in a row and and getting so close in League's Cup. And I don't want that to get lost in frustration that the club doesn't seem to be progressing up the playoff ladder. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do want to bring up one more point. I think we're kind of just a uh, free form. Form, <laughs> responding to various things that we've heard uh, more than any any uh, individual uh, specific topic here. So I, I want to point out that game was ending 1-0 last night either way. I think if Surridge had hit his shot, um, that was a, a 60.24 shot according to Opta. I don't believe it was it was worth almost two-thirds of a goal, um, but it was it was a good a good look. Uh, Vilder Cartagena's shot was 0.02. Um, so t- basically two percent two two seven seven. So basically a three percent chance of going in. I think if if Nashville hit a three percent shot and and had zero other shots in the in the match, people would be happy. And I know it's it's very reductive to say fans over concentrate on goals when evaluating performance because um goals happen to be the thing that determines whether you win or lose. But in terms of creation, in terms of of what these teams did, uh, it is just a situation where Nashville got maybe a bad technique choice out of a DP striker and uh, Orlando got a wonder strike They they almost had a couple other wonder strikes. They had, they were shooting from long distances shortly before Cartagena hit that shot. Um, And whichever one had gone in, that team was going to bunker. That team was going to win one zero. It was really that simple and it, it sucks and it doesn't uh, make it feel any better. I don't think the way that it, 
it was basically a coin flip that Nashville lost is reflective on what the front office has done, what John Ingram has done in terms of building a roster. No. And I think any fans who are who are using last night to point to bigger picture things, I'm sure are looking at the past 15 matches and saying, look, you know, two home wins in the second half of the season is not good enough. We'd agree with that, by the way. And it doesn't give us as much confidence as we'd otherwise have for Nashville to come home and get something done against Orlando. You know, lack of chance creation late in matches, not good enough. Midfield, not good enough. You know, I, all of that, I think, is legit. And I think there we'll talk about legitimate concerns in a minute. But I think the thing we pointed to last week is the same thing we have to point to again. Nashville is a, is a high-variance team because they are going to create a small number of chances and they're going to allow a small number of legitimate chances. Orlando just five shots on target last night among their 27 total, most of them, 25 total, most of them were blocked. So they opened the door to randomness and it just so happens that randomness has bit them in the behind more than they've been able to take advantage of it this year. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's no better way to put it is um, we talked about it. I don't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, but they play a style that limits overall chances until a goal is scored. And that, enters you into a world where high variance um, can go your way for sure. And more yeah. often than not in four years, it has gone Nashville's way for the past 15 games or so it has not. And that doesn't mean that it didn't work previously, but it does mean that Nashville is playing a style that, that opens them up to being on the wrong end of it. And they could play much better within that style than that approach. And so let's get into some areas now where I think people's concerns are extremely legit, Tim. And the first one I'll mention is midfield play. I think that we can point to missed chances in front of goal. There's been a lot of that, but I think you can only have, you can only leverage your good ideas in the attack when you're winning the ball in midfield and putting yourself in a position to succeed. I want to read some stats last night uh, in, in, in terms of midfield play, mostly midfield play here. Uh, duels won 59% in favor of Orlando ground duels, 55% aerial duels. Orlando won 65%. Uh, 50 50s in the air. And that's not just midfield. That's all over the pitch. But Tim, this is a, a team that has prided itself in being the more physical, uh, the more organized, the, the, the team that's tough to beat in midfield. They've given themselves a shape, especially that's mm-hmm. supposed to leverage mismatches and outnumber opponents in midfield. Why didn't that happen? And is it a, is it a talent deficiency issue? Is it as simple as Dax just not being available and in the roster, even then I, I say Anibal Godoy and yeah. Sean Davis are known for those things and just haven't delivered here lately. Yeah. I, I think it's, it is just sometimes it happens that doesn't excuse it, but it, it is the reality. Like you put Brian Anunga on the field. You don't expect your team to lose a lot of ground duels, maybe aerial duels. Cause he's not a big guy, but you have the talent there that is specifically designed to win a lot of duels. Um, I've already talked about how they aren't guys who are going to play beautiful offensive attacking soccer, but they provide other stuff. You expect them to provide that stuff. And when they don't, it hurts you. Um, and that's, it's really, it's, it really is that simple. If, if Nashville is not going to have, um, you know, attacking midfielders that can play beautiful linking soccer, those guys need to do what they are good at, what they are known for. And that's win a lot of these duels. I think more often than not, they will. The fact that it hasn't happened for a few games straight can be really frustrating nonetheless. Extremely frustrating. And I think yeah. that you know anybody who's saying, look, they skipped midfield too much late. They were just flinging in desperate crosses. First, it was a function of, of you know the substitution patterns and who was available at the time and a bunch of forwards being in. But second, 
Yeah. I mean, I don't think the midfielders showed that they were going to be up to providing that service themselves or being a part of receiving that service. I do have another question for you, Tim. What was up with the sub patterns last night? You know, I think Anuka coming in late is one thing because you didn't yeah. have Dax. You got to refresh a body. I know he's not going to be a match chaser, but what else could you do at that point? The goal there was to use him to repress and then set the ball up to others who could attack. But in particular, I want to point to Lucas McNaughton coming in yeah. instead of Fafa Pico in what was like the 65th minute or so. Fafa ended up getting in, but not till the 83rd, 84th minute. I didn't understand that move. Can you help shed light on it or are you as baffled as I am? Yeah, I can I can tell you what the thought process probably was. Uh, I don't know if it is going to be a satisfying answer. I think Nashville wanted to go to a three back because then you you are able to um free up your your now wing backs, previously fullbacks, to get way up the field. I think you look at Shaq Moore and say, This is a guy who we can put to run the to run the the touchline. Um you look at uh Daniel Lovitz. He's not quite the same, but he is somebody who plays a beautiful ball. And we saw him play a, a couple righty uh, services that were really nice. Uh, one surge was was inches offside. Um, I believe he was also the assist man on the Bunbury header that that didn't quite uh, find the target. So um, you want to free up the fullbacks to play more like wingbacks and get up the pitch. I, I'm a, a agreeing with you in that I think there's a better thing you can do, which is let them continue playing the way they have been or send them forward anyway in a match that there is no aggregate score. There's n- there is no downside to losing three zero versus one zero. Whereas if you're going to be completely balls to the wall, crazy and maybe find an equalizer, that's worthwhile because then you have a chance to either find a winner yourself or uh, take the victory in a penalty kick shootout. So I think playing with complete reckless abandon in these, the format of these uh, first rounds is, is, probably why major league soccer uh created this format because yeah. i think they want they want the first two games at least to be a little bit more open but it's also a situation that i think nashville looked at it and said okay um let's look at our position in the table we don't want to lose any goal differential and it's just a situation where that was not that was not the the, the scenario at a goal differentials irrelevant in this yeah. first round of the playoffs it is important to view a sub in the larger picture. And, and along with McNaughton coming in for Schaffelberg, Teal Bunbury came in for Alex Wheel. And so you were giving it, as you mentioned, a change of position, your fullbacks turning into wingbacks, and you were adding a striker to the equation there uh, while not taking one off. So it is important to note, but I would have loved to have seen Pico come in and and be, as you said, more balls to the wall there and more, you know, nothing to lose because mm-hmm. indeed Nashville had nothing to lose at that point. Anything else that you're looking at as a, as a legitimate concern that you've heard or that, that has occurred to you, or shall we get to the mailbag? Let's hop in. All right. Before we do, of course, ML Rose, we promised you a big announcement. Here it is. New location coming spring 2024, Tim, in Franklin, Tennessee. There we go. Love to hear it. Uh, they're expanding southward. They've already expanded eastward to the Mount Juliet location. Uh, the the original pair of locations uh, in the best and most important neighborhood, as well as the 8th South location close to Geodis Park. I guess they expanded centrally with the Capitol View location. Sure, we'll take it. And now they're, now they're uh, you know, getting those tendrils out into the suburbs, uh, as well as, uh, of course, the also upcoming Inglewood location. I'm glad to see them expanding. Glad to see them doing well. I think we can we can personally take full credit for the success of their business. Of course, for, for talking about them each and every. We're, we're big in Williamson show. County. Big in Williamson <laughs> yeah. County. Uh, so cool. yeah, exciting. So each each one, as you mentioned, I believe last week has a little bit different character. It'll be interesting to see 
what uh, the Inglewood location looks like in comparison to the currently existing locations and then what the Franklin location is going to be like as well. Your address is there, by the way, Inglewood 3701 Gallatin Pike. Uh, the Franklin location is going to be at 3084 Columbia Avenue. It used to be a Chili's. It's upgrading big time. So yeah. congrats. Congrats to Melrose. That's fantastic news. Uh, mailbag time. Just a, a few quick questions. We'll blaze through them here for you. Wyatt, how can we show the owners and management we're unhappy with the product but still support the players and club? I feel like they're content with this level of performance as long as they're selling out season tickets every year. Tim, I would say, quote, this level of performance as it applies to the Orlando match, not good enough. As it applies to four playoffs in four seasons. With the payroll this team has, I just think we're undervaluing what Nashville has done. And we can simultaneously appreciate what Nashville's done while wanting them to take that next step. And I don't think a fan protest here is, yeah. is the right move. This is a team that, yeah, they could spend a little more money, I guess. But beyond that, man, I just... I don't know. I don't know where to start with that other than to say I get frustration. I don't get some desire to have some backlash here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think uh, when you look at a Nashville SC fan base that was rightfully criticized for state uh, going to, but ultimately canceling a protest because they weren't getting a deal on beer, um, it's, pro- it's probably not coming from a from a fan base that has the uh, the ear of the the greater uh, MLS fan base uh, collective saying, oh, these guys are have got their heads in the right place all the time. Um, I, I am with you in that um, this quote unquote, this level of performance is 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 really good. So I know it's frustrating because um, they did not perform well Monday night. I know it's frustrating because they slumped to the finish. But but simply put, this is a club that is spending over the TAM uh, you know, conversion for all three de- designated player spots. They've maxed out um, the the roster spend other than what they are going to spend in, in general allocation money in future seasons. They got to keep a little bit. Uh, they got to keep a little bit of their powder dry, as as Mike Jacobs would say. But I just don't think that the the level of performance we've seen is worth complaining about. And I, and certainly it's not because anything that the, the the owners or management and some of it, yes, okay you can be upset that they didn't bring in another midfielder this summer, but that's uh, you know, that's something that is that worth some sort of protest? I don't think so. Maybe yeah. uh, fans can reasonably disagree, but I think if you're looking for uh, a way to protest without, uh, I guess, turning your back on the, on the players, uh, you might want to wait until there's something a little bit more worthwhile for that. Yeah. Show up Tuesday night and scream as loud as you can. And if you're screaming out of anger at the front office, they don't care as long as you're being loud and inspecting the other team. I think that's what you do to support the team. And again, to be clear, the performance has not been as strong this year as fans would have liked, or as we probably expected. So not saying there shouldn't be frustration, but the big picture I think still looks good. And this front office has proven it can be trusted to find strong, high value options to reinforce and grow. And I think we're going to see a lot of that in the off season. Uh, John Mueller, does time wasting not exist to referees? He goes on about Schlegel, who'd already been booked, continuing to waste time. Look, Tim, you're never going to, you're rarely going to get a second yellow. For time <laughs> as frustrating as that is, as you took that back that real is, quick. <laughs> as, as maddening as that is, I mean, it's, it can happen. It would, it could probably happen yeah. to Nashville, but it's, it's Orlando's known for it. It's very frustrating, but we knew that that was the risk of going behind to this Orlando team. Yeah, and I think we uh, we saw the the uh, pointing to the to the watch, saying, "Okay, hey, I'm not going to call him for time wasting, but I am going to add more time to the stoppage time from a right. run of Villarreal." He ultimately blew the whistle at precisely uh, 97:01 on the clock, <sighs> so he was not he was not very serious about that. But it is it is something that it has got to be handled better. I think 
uh, it stops immediately if somebody gets a second yellow for it and you don't have to worry yeah. about it ever again. So <laughs> it's, it's really that simple. I share that frustration with you, John. Brian Wilson, footy's a game of the smallest margins. MLS spending restrictions shrink them further. Add elimination style play and tell me why this league isn't more than vibes and timing. Front office knows this and is motivated by what exactly? Good enough and roll the dice is becoming tiresome. I will say again here, good enough is rare to accomplish in MLS four straight years. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I think I think if you look at if you look at this league as vibes and timing, what is what is the front office supposed to do that's different? They're supposed to kind of ride the wave of what the league's vibes and timing are at a given point. I don't think there's anything that they can do differently. Good enough and roll the dice is by your own definition here, Brian, all that you can do. Um obviously there's more than that. I think they they want to succeed. They want to win MLS Cup. They're realistic about what the stepping stones along the way to MLS Cup are. And I think the way that Mike Jacobs in particular expresses that can kind of make people think that he doesn't care about winning MLS Cup, but that's not the case. So it is a situation where I don't know that there's a ton more you can do. Yes, you can make better personnel decisions. Yes, you can, um, you know, open the purse a little bit and go for it in one big year. I think this probably wasn't the year for Nashville to do that anyway. And we certainly have seen with the bad luck that they had that it wouldn't have been the year to do that Um, in terms of exhausting all your general allocation money, ex- exhausting all of your target allocation money, et cetera. Um, this might not have been the year to do it anyway. You look at an aging midfield, um, as we've talked about, basically ad nauseum. <laughs> you look at some of the factors that were going to limit this team, regardless of if you add players or not. And it's probably better to wait a year to add players. You still made the playoffs. It still took horrific luck for a lot of the year to to finish in seventh place in, in the Eastern Conference, which was the seventh place in the Eastern Conference is probably uh, eighth place in the league overall. <laughs> this was by far the stronger conference this season, too. So it's just a situation where I understand it's frustrating. I don't understand wh- what the, the, the front office is supposed to do if... If the operating assumption here is this league is vibes and timing, um, they didn't get the vibes and timing. That seems to be stuff that's by definition out of their control and they have spent yeah. to to get where they got. And yes, it's not good enough this year, but I don't think it's something that is directly an indictment of what they've done. No, I think this club didn't always help itself with quote unquote vibes on the pitch. You know, this is a team that didn't have the composure to 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 push, you know, with with good chemistry in combination late in this match. It looked to me like they were walking a little bit too much late, as exhausted as I'm sure they were. They've lost some composure at times this year. The vibes have not always been great with this team. Uh, could they have another midfielder? Nashville SC stats, you asked that? Yeah, I think so. Um, should they have had better composure all year? Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. More to come. Moon Taxi, thanks for the music. ML Rose, thanks for the sponsorship. 440 Sports, thanks for the microphone. We'll be back with more before the Orlando match next week. Elimination time. <laughs>